This sermon audio is presented to you by Pastor Tommy Brandon and Calvary Church of Fort Worth. For more information, visit our website at calvaryftw.com. Well, I'm excited to uh, preach once again this morning a uh, part two of a short little summer series that I'm doing to wrap up the month of July. But it's more than a series for me. Uh, as I told you last Sunday, this this really is something down deep in my heart for our church coming down the stretch of a hot uh, summer month according to our school calendar at least. And uh, we know the heat will be with us <laughs> well into the next several months. But uh, I wanted to just reach into, <clears throat> by the help of the Lord and the Holy Ghost, reach into your heart to commit to God greater than ever before. And I looked for something real creative by title, and I'm not really sure if anything could make my point any more than the title that I preached last Sunday, today, and then once again next Sunday. And it is simply, it's all or nothing. It's all or nothing. And as a quick recap from last Sunday, in case you were not here with us, I preached about consecration about setting yourself apart for God. And I noticed through social media, several people were uh, tweeting and, and Facebook status updating a little phrase that I used a lot last Sunday, and I might even use it again because it was obviously, it obviously made a good point. It's time that we really do our best to get out of the driver's seat of our own life, put the Lord in full control, and sit back and let God take you where God wants you to go. Uh, we all have our own thoughts and dreams and visions of where we want to be. But how many of you have lived long enough to know that oftentimes where we're wanting to go is, is probably not the best. But God's way is always the best. Can I get an amen? But the key is letting go and, and turning over some control. For all of us people like myself that just, we really think that we need to control everything, this really does make the difference in living for God and making the journey rather than just starting the journey. I don't want to just be a good starter out of the gate. I want to finish well. And how I'm going to finish well is I'm going to have to loosen up and I'm going to have to let God take me where he wants to take me. So out of the book of Revelation last Sunday, we talked about this old scriptural reference that some of you are familiar with that, you know, God would rather you be hot or he would rather you be cold, but he doesn't do well with indifferent. He doesn't do well with uh, gray. It's either black or white. <clears throat> he doesn't really do well with lukewarm. He doesn't do well with uh, an ambiguous, coy uh, intriguing type approach to him. He wants to know, are you with me or are you against me? No decision is a decision. And, and we're talking about consecration last week. And I did my best through the help of the Lord just to bring some of us to that point uh, in our mind where we can make a good decision for our heart and our mind to say, you know what, I am gonna go all in with the Lord I'm, I'm going to get off this fence, and, and I'm going to give him not just my heart for salvation, but I'm going to give him my family. I'm going to give him my health. I'm going to give him my mind. I'm going to give him 
give him every single aspect of my life. And I think some of us just kind of got refreshed last Sunday thinking that God is interested in every aspect of our life, every detail. So this morning we press forward, we press on concerning it's all or nothing. But today I want to preach about there's no turning back. No turning back. When you start with the Lord, there are some things in Scripture that will help you to eliminate the possibility of ever going back. I grew up in a, in a church that was a part of the Bible Belt in the sense that we had our own type of language. We had our own type of rhetoric and there was a common phrase that we would use, and I know that probably 99 or greater percent of you are familiar with the terminology. If you were to ever start with the Lord and then walk away from God, the term we would use would be backsliding, sliding away from what you once started. And, and, and it literally, most of the time, it is a sliding. Very few people uh, back run. <laughs> Very few people back fall. Uh, they, they don't even back walk. It's a, it's a sliding because it's just one thought leads to another thought, <clears throat> to another choice, to another choice. Uh, and then the next thing you know, uh, you, you find yourself a few weeks, a few months, of, uh, maybe a year cold towards the things of God and you have slid back. But with that thought, I would like to say, is there really anything that is worth sliding back to? When you truly come out of the world and come and give your life to Jesus Christ, that whole idea of backsliding, what are we sliding back to? Well, by the help of the Lord this morning through Scripture and the Holy Ghost, I just want us to eliminate the very thought of going back to anything because there's really nothing worth going back to. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. Let's get started today. <clears throat> In order to begin a new chapter, you have to end an old chapter. It's pretty simple. You can't start a new chapter in your life until you bring to conclusion another chapter. I think a lot of people want to start something new in their life, but they want to reach back and entertain the old in their life, and it doesn't work well. Uh, it doesn't go real well. You, you can't start a new job until you've ended the old job. You can't start a new grade in school. School's about to start off here in several weeks. You can't start a new class until you end your former class. Well, in writing, you would end a chapter with a punctuation mark. A period would do the job. You could bring it to conclusion by dropping a period into that sentence and starting a new sentence, which would be starting a new paragraph, which would be starting a new chapter. Well, the same thing works in our spiritual life. If you're going to start something with the Lord, you have to end something with your flesh or with the world, uh, with the things of sin. 
You cannot start living for God in his righteousness while reaching back and entertaining the things of sin. Can I get an amen this morning? But here's the catch. Just because you need a punctuation mark in your life, a comma doesn't do the job. A semicolon won't cut it. A lot of people try to put a little comma on there. They, they, they want a little bit of God and a little bit of self. They want a little bit of God and a little bit of flesh and a little bit of God and a little bit of the world. And, and, and we want our cake and we want to eat it too. Speaking of that, last night we had this crazy awesome bake auction at the uh, event for, for Micah and her family. And it was so funny watching some of you get into bidding wars over your favorite uh, dessert that was represented. I got sucked into a few bidding wars and I got a little angry with a few of you. I've had to repent this morning. You kept running my bill up higher and higher and higher. And, and there's this one particular pie that I grew up on that I love. I love a buttermilk pie. Hallelujah, somebody. And I got into a bidding war with this buttermilk pie uh, with, with a few people in the church, and I was determined I was going to win that buttermilk pie. And, man, it went from $5, $20, $25, $75, and I start thinking that's an expensive buttermilk pie. And the next thing I know, I was reaching to my checkbook. I wrote a $100 check for a buttermilk pie. You know how you justify spending $100 for a buttermilk pie? You eat a slice at 5.50 a.m. today. I'm preaching on a sugar high right now, man. A cup of black coffee with buttermilk pie at 10 till 6 a.m. I'm ready to take on the world. The Nora came around the corner and I'm holding coffee and pie. She went, oh, Lord. Hey, check this out. You, you have to end, you gotta end some things to start some things. And a comma's not gonna get it done. You're gonna have to drop a punctuation mark into your situation that makes a point. Everyone say this out loud. Say, I need to make a point with my faith. And it comes by an exclamation point, meaning I am letting everyone know that I am done with my old life, my old man. I'm starting a new journey. I'm starting this new life of faith. And I can't just put a comma, a semicolon. I can't continue it on. I'm going to have to bring it to conclusion, settle the issue. I've been made new by the power of God, and I don't have anything to go back to. Let's clap our hands this morning. Well, in the book of 1 Kings, we find an unbelievable, awesome story that deals with this very thing, and that is severing ties with your old life and moving into where God wants to take you. And you got to drop an exclamation point and make a a faith statement saying, this is the new me. And it's all or nothing. I'm going completely in with the Lord. We find Elisha in chapter number 19 of the book of 1 Kings. And and why why don't we just, for time's sake, let's just look at verse number 21. We find Elisha, he's been entertaining this calling on his life. 
God's been wooing him, been pulling at his heart. And a, and a mentor, a mentor has come by and, and the prophet Elijah with a J has found Elisha with an S-H. Elijah has found Elisha and he's saying, I, by the help of God, want to bring you closer to the work of the Lord. I want to train you. I want to coach you. I want to father you. I want to mentor you. But I've got to have all of you. I can't have just a portion of you. I've got to have all of you. And can I tell you, that's the message in this summer series that God wants all of you. Every bit of you, he wants to possess and do something great with your life. So we find Elisha in verse 21, and he returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew them and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen and gave unto the people and they did eat. Then he arose, then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. This is a unique scripture, and I'm sure some of you are like, Pastor Tommy, you sure you got the right scripture for this sermon? I didn't quite catch how that, that fits. Well, you gotta, you gotta understand the context of where we're at. Elisha is at work in the field plowing with his plow being pulled by his oxen, and he's about to leave and go follow after Elijah and serve the Lord. Here's a real cool nugget for you to consider. Most of the time, when God calls someone for greater things in his kingdom work, I'm not referring right now to calling them out of sin, but calling you to a higher degree of service in the kingdom, most of the time it are those that are already working for God. God wants to see if you're willing to work for his service, and when he finds you busy doing the little things, he can trust you with greater things. If he can't trust you with the greater, it's probably because you have not been willing and, and able to handle what he's trusted you with. God has trusted Elisha with a plow, with some oxen, and a row to hoe. He has given him a job to do, and Elisha was found busy working. Yeah. Nudge your neighbor and say, be found busy working. Yeah, that's right. But none of us want to work, do we? None of us want to work. But we got to be found busy working. And, and the Holy Spirit, by means of a prophet, came through and he found Elisha at work. And when Elisha knew that it was time to go after God with his everything, he, man, he made a point. You're never going to believe what this farmer did. This farmer took his plows, dismantled them, and created a fire pit out of the very plows that he had been working with and started a fire with his tools. 
He's a farmer by trade. His livelihood is wrapped up in this plow that had either been given to him. He had either purchased it. He had either made it himself. But it was his livelihood. And he sets that dude on fire. Not just to make a fire, but to cook the very oxen that has been pulling the plow. Now you talk about all or nothing. This cat just made a statement, I'm done being a farmer. How do we know you're done? I don't even have a plow anymore. Yeah, but how else do we know? I don't even have oxen anymore. He is left with his oxen strapped up on a fire pit and he cooks the very beast that has been earning him income and he serves it to his help. And then, the scripture says, then, what a powerful little word, then, then. He had to take care of some things. He had to settle some things then. He couldn't just have everything. He couldn't, he couldn't just say, hey, I'm going to lease this plow out and still make a little money with it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to still lease these oxen out while I go to the ministry. You keep making me a little side income. No, no, no. He settled it. He burned his oxen, he burned his plow, he fed his help. Then he arose and went with Elijah. You talk about all or nothing. There's nothing being held back right in this story. He goes completely in with God. Let me ask you a question this morning. Have you had this kind of conversation with the Lord? Have you really sat down and settled some of the issues in your life and given them over to God? Or are you you just trying to have a little bit of God and a little bit of whatever it is in this world that you've tasted and loved? Because God's not going to be content. He'll love you. He could even save you if you give him your heart. But God's not just wanting to be your savior. He's wanting to be your Lord and Lord over all things in your life. Why, why, why just take a percentage of God when you can have all of God? Why give God a percentage of you when he desires all of you? Have you had this conversation? Have you looked at the Lord and said, here I am. Have all that I have. I give it all over to you. Watch what God can do when he gets everything that you have. The year was 1519, and the Spanish explorer by the name of Hernan Cortez did something crazy. He set out from Mexico, and in his exploration, he took with him 11 ships, 13 horses, 110 sailors, and 553 soldiers. The indigenous population at this time was uh, approximately around 5 million people. And Cortez and his men, when they hit the banks, when they beached their ships, the odds were really stacked against them because it mathematically it came down to about 7,500 to 1 rounded off. That's a pretty tough uphill fight. 
And all of the men, these 553 soldiers along with these 110 sailors with their 13 horses, they got off those 11 ships and I'm certain that some of them were, were, had knees a-knocking. They probably had a quiver in their voice thinking, what are we up against? And Hernan Cortez, Brother Bobby Johnson, did something of epic proportions. He turned and said something that just makes me want to just kind of get nervous even thinking about it. If I can go there in my mind, and they ran their, their, their ships into the beach. He looked at them and said, by the way, men, get everything off those ships and burn them. Whoa, burn them. Burn those ships. Burn the ships? Yeah, burn the ships. But those ships are what got us here, and those ships are what's going to get us out of here. Did you catch that? Those ships got us here, and those ships are, that's the means of transportation that's going to get us out of here. That's exactly right. We did not come here to leave here. We've come here to stay here. Burn the ships. Wow. Let me tell you something, man. Here's where we get in trouble. All of us out of our fear, all of us out of our, sometimes we don't, we don't want to say it's fear. Sometimes we just say it's strategy. We get that deep thought look on our face and we say it's not fear, it's strategy. It's because I'm a wise businessman that I have a strategy for my life and my family. And what we do is we create what is called a plan B. Because smart people have backup plans, so we need a plan B. And we create this plan B. But can I tell you something? Most People in life are living their plan B because they had a plan B. Because when times get hard and when times get tough and when times get expensive and when times get kind of get frustrating, we want to tuck our tail, run to the ship and say, we're out of here, bud. Uh, this was not what we thought it would be. And we fire up the outboard and we get out of town. And Hernan Cortez says, we're not retreating because most of the time, that's where failure comes. Failure comes right. when you go into retreat mode. Can I just tell you something? I know I'm getting a little personal. I'm getting a little personal, but it's not wise to go to the wedding altar with a plan B. And therefore, that's why we're in the state that we're in. Well, if it don't work out, preacher, I got something in the works, you know what I mean? No, I don't know what you mean. Plan B doesn't work well at the wedding altar. Plan B doesn't work well in the, in the, in the upstart business model. Plan B doesn't work well uh, in, in, in all of life situations. How can we think plan B should work well in our spiritual world? When you come to God, you cannot keep a ship from your past stocked and loaded and ready to set sail because God's not looking for you to come in this thing half-heartedly. He's looking at you to come in and burn the ship of your past to bury your old man and to walk out of a world of sin and come 
all or nothing. Somebody clap your hands to the Lord. Well, I'm going to taste and see that the Lord is good. Don't manipulate scripture. You need to eat him up. You need to go all in with God. Don't just take little nibbles of the word of the Lord. Get a hold of God's word and go completely, fully devoted and committed and consecrate yourself unto God. If you want all of God, God's going to have to have all of you. Lean up and tap that one in front of you and say, that preacher's preaching on buttermilk pie this morning. Boy, he's wired up. He's sugared up. Hey, you know what? I just had a thought. I just had a thought. That second service starts at 11, and I live 15 minutes from here. I bet I could get another piece of that pie. Boy, that second service, their ears would be pinned back, wouldn't it? Wow. Man, God wants all of us. He wants us to be consecrated. And he wants us to take this mindset that I don't have anything to go back to. He wants this idea that there's nothing worth sliding back in. He wants to know that you're with him. He wants to know that you have severed ties with your old former life. He wants to see that you have taken on a new man. He wants to look at you and see something that's been blood bought and been purchased by the very purchasing blood of Jesus Christ. Not, not just flirting with it, not just teasing with it, but he wants your mind. He wants your heart. He wants your words. He wants your body. He wants your marriage. He wants your family. He wants your business. He wants everything that you have because with him, you've got everything you need. It's all or nothing. Praise God. These ships of our past that we want to kind of keep on the beach, on the shore of our life, these, these ships of, of, of past loves, these ships of, of, of past victories, these ships of even in an odd way, sometimes the ships of past failure because there's moments where we get so down and dark that we would even retreat to a ship of failure of yesterday and, and just get drunk on the idea of, of how we'll never survive and how we'll never make it. And can I just tell you something that these are the ships that you got to get rid of, the ships of guilt, the ships of pain, the ships of, of failure. You're going to have to set fire to them because you're in new land with new territory and God needs all of you. And this is what Elisha did. Elisha said, this is my last day as a farmer and this is my first day as a prophet. Everything changes for me today. It was like an altar experience. This is my last day as a sinner living for myself. And this is my first day as a blood-bought, sanctified, set-apart, consecrated child of God. And I'm going to completely give him everything I have. Elisha was born in this really neat little place, this little region of the Jordan River Valley, this place called Abel Maholah, Abel Maholah. And the only reason I mentioned the name of it is because it has a meaning to it. And if you were just to take a simple uh, commentary and study this, you could find it just as I did. It means the meadow of dancing. He lived in this really cool place 
that was lush, that had, uh, that had a bountiful land, and there was happiness and contentment and joy. Most families in that time, in that region, had one plow with one oxen, or one set, rather, of oxen. And they all pretty much stayed busy and productive. But it's obvious through Scripture that Elisha came from a place of wealth. He had more than others because the Scriptures say of how many he had. He had 12 yoke of oxen. And he had farm hands that plowed with him. So there's evidence here that Elisha came from a place of great provision and wealth. So not only was this burning of his plow and the, and the, and the, and the eating and the sharing of his oxen an exclamation point for his calling, but he was literally writing himself out of the family wheel. He was completely cutting ties with his provision from his wealth and his family business. He did not just um, flirt with the idea of going with Elijah, but he went all in with Elijah to the place where he had a, almost like a name change. He was no longer of this family of provision and great wealth. Now he was a man of God and a great prophet with the Lord. So he prays and asks God for a double portion of Elijah's anointing. And I just share this with you quickly before I dismiss you this morning. He prays for this double portion. And sometimes, uh, I'll be honest with you, uh, there's been times in my life studying Elisha and Elijah's relationship that it makes me ask, and I, I don't know if maybe there's one of two that you've wondered, is that kind of on the, on the threshold of a little bit of arrogance? How, Sister Vani, can he ask for a double portion of this great man of God's anointing? How is that a little bit overzealous? Is that, is that asking too much? Because the prophet Elijah with his 14 recorded miracles, uh, that's a pretty stellar resume. And Elisha now is saying, I'm going to leave my plowing business and I'm going to leave my oxen and I'm going with Elijah. But God, I need a double portion of what this man's been able to do. I want to experience even greater. And the coolest part about this is God answered that prayer and granted him his heart's desire. And we have a recording of 28 uh, of these great miracles from Elisha's ministry. But here's the reason I think it's possible. is because he did not withhold anything from God. When you completely go all in with God, I think that God is able to give you everything that you could even imagine by faith. It's when you withhold from God that you limit God. When you withhold from God, you tie his hands because there's only one thing that can tie the hands of God and that's unbelief. And there's only one reason why people don't go completely all in with God. It's because of unbelief. It's lack of trust. It's lack of faith in God. It's, 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 it's trusting in themselves or in this world system or their family or their, or their business more than God. So they withhold from the Lord. But how many of you know on this Sunday morning that my Bible is just as yours says, we have not because we ask not. 
But if we come forth asking, we shall be given. If we knock, we shall be opened. And if we seek, it shall be found. And I believe that Elisha just was so committed, so devoted, so consecrated unto God that he said, basically, you've got all of me and I want all of you. And I have a desire for a double portion anointing on my life. And God pretty much starts looking over his resume and he says, wow, I've got all of him. I can't hold anything back from him. Here it is. So in a very strange way, I ask a question. What is it possible that God is holding from you? It's a very unique question. And, and our flesh will say, well, God wouldn't hold anything from me. So let me ask you a separate question. What are you holding from God? Because whatever it is you're holding from God could literally be causing an obstacle, a roadblock, a chain link fence around what God has for you. Are you missing the 28 miracles? Are you missing the double portion anointing? We look at our grandparents, we look at the elders, we look at great men and women of God, and we want what they have, but have we given God what they've given God? We'll never know what God's withholding as in his blessing and his victory and his abundance until we know what we're withholding from God. And if we can find ourselves clean and clear of the charges of withholding from God, then and only then will we know without a shadow of a doubt that we've got God's full blessing on our life. Somebody clap your hands to the Lord. So for a, for a chuckle's sake, I ask you like old Dr. Phil, how's it working out for you? Just for chuckle's sake. Because at the end of the day, take the limits off of God and let's release and have him release rather his fullness to our life. But there's only one way that we can guarantee that to happen and that is that we release our fullness to God. I close with this this morning. If Jeff, is Jeff handy? If Jeff can come and just play keyboard for me. Thank you, Jeff. Man, you Johnny on the spot. Is Jeff handy in here? But he's like the Lord. As close as the mention of his name. <laughs> just play something softly for me, Jeff. I'll be dismissing here from the pulpit this morning, right here. Watch this now. Elisha could have lived his entire life in the meadow of dancing. Elisha could have spent the rest of his life with a large amount of plowing and a great amount of oxen. He could have built the family empire even to a greater state. And everything, Brother Bruce, that he would have known, as good and wonderful as it was, he could have said, I've done this. God gives us abilities to work and God honors hard work. But that's in the natural. And if the natural is satisfactory unto you, then so be it. But I've tasted enough of the natural to know 
that it does not satisfy all of my life's needs. In the first portion of this service, when my friend Knox stood on this platform and began to sing, and when this church responded in their worship, and the mighty Spirit of God was moved upon us, I leaned over to Sherry Lyles and I said out loud, there's no substitute for this. Because there's some that, there's some Sundays where you catch a song and it's good, but it was natural. Some Sundays you hear a sermon and it's good and it's natural. But if you live for God long enough, he gives you these glimpses of what's beyond your ability. What's greater than your talent. What's deeper than your, your gifts. He reveals his best to you. And Sister Brenda, you catch a glimpse. Just Sometimes it's just for a moment and you feel it. It's like, it's like energy. It just comes all over you. It's the Holy Ghost and it just stirs you and touches you and blesses you. Elisha knew I can build a strong business. I could take what I've inherited and I could probably double down on it and we could probably, we could probably take a monopoly in this place and I could probably run the show for years, but I'm not satisfied with what my hands can do. I need something supernatural above my ability. And he sacrificed the natural for the supernatural. He traded good for great. He burned the plow and the oxen to chase the anointing. Whoo! He traded what he could produce for what God could produce. Ladies and gentlemen, when you do that, you say there's no turning back. I'm not going back to anything that I could ever do because well, all the best that I can muster up, all the best that I can manufacture, it cannot scratch the surface of what God can do in my life. So I close this morning asking you, are you tired of living with your best? Because you've realized your best is not good enough. This sermon can go in so many directions. Are you tired of trying to live by what you can work up and produce in your marriage, in your finances, in your family, in your, in your mentality, your emotions? Give all that stuff up. Cut ties from your abilities and gifts and skills and say, God, I thank you for everything you've taught me to be able to do in this life, but I need something supernatural. And when that happens, God can do more for you than you could ever do for yourself. Stand to your feet this morning. Lift your hands to the Lord. Imagine with me. I know I'm taking you somewhere. I know I'm, I know I'm stretching you right now, so just bear with me. But imagine with me that you hold the door knob to your heart. Imagine with me that it's your hands that control what happens next. Will you be willing to turn that doorknob to your heart and swing it open wide and then remove your hand from it and say, Father, I need you to breathe into my life this morning. I don't have anything worth going back to. You've got all of me. 
I take, I take my life and I give it to you on this altar of sacrifice. I consecrate my life to you. Come on, somebody. Breathe in the power of the Holy Spirit this morning and let God do something in you that you can't do on your own.